I'm Hemant Mehta. And this is Jessica Blumke. And you're listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. We're here today with Peter Montgomery, who's a senior fellow for People for the American Way, where he also contributes uh, to their brilliant Right Wing Watch blog. Peter, thank you for being with us. Very happy to be here. So, Peter, uh, we hear that you just came from a screening of Rick Santorum's movie, so I want to hear all about it, please. (laughs) Yes, it's called One Generation Away, and it is a uh, documentary uh, you can put that in quotes if you like. Just what <laughs> about um, just how uh, th- how dire is the threat to Christians in America today, and how dire is the threat to their religious freedom? As uh, if uh, we're one generation away from Christianity going extinct. Is that the idea? Pretty much. I mean, the whole the whole movie ends with a just direct analogy to the church during the time of the rise of Hitler. So that's pretty much, you know, they're pretty much telling Christians in America today that uh, if they don't, if they don't start fighting now, it's all over. Wait, are they equating themselves to the Jews in the Holocaust? Because that's tasteless at best. I think they're equating themselves more so to uh, people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who resisted the rise of Nazism and was killed by the Nazis. So, so uh, the whole movie, yeah. and the movie is called Godwin's Law, you said? That's... <laughs> yeah. So did they have specific examples of of ways yeah, they, Christians I mean, they, are being prosecuted? They, they tell a number of stories. I mean, this was filmed clearly before Hobby Lobby won at the Supreme Court because one of the stories is about Hobby Lobby and the Green family being, um, you know, forced uh, to comply with the contraception mandate. A couple of the stories are sort of the familiar ones around um, same-sex marriage and business owners being required by states to abide by anti-discrimination laws. So they sort of tell one of the stories about a baker who didn't want to make a cake for a same-sex couple Mm. and a florist who didn't want to do flowers for a gay wedding. It is amazing how fighting for Christianity is now down to, uh, like, we're all fighting about cakes. <laughs> or yes. they, they don't want to. That's what they're hanging this whole argument over. We refuse to bake for you. Well, and, and there's some, some other... Uh, it's interesting because they, they actually interview some advocates of church-state separation in order to show just how evil uh, advocates for church state separation are. So they quote Barry Lynn from Americans United. And Who is, by the way, like the nicest, calmest guy in the world. Yes, and he's very effective. Did they um, put devil horns on him in the movie? <laughs> that would work. But, but I think I heard a woman behind me whisper that he was a monster. Wow. <laughs> so the film works, I guess. Well, uh, it, it's funny. Um, <laughs> As a, as a movie, I think, you know, it's basically just one long parade of religious right talking heads. I mean, they interviewed a lot of people. And so I think in order to try to keep it from being just a really boring array of talking heads, they just have this bizarre um, use of, like, stock footage of Americana scenes and boats on the water and people in the street... Christian like boats. Flashes, like every two seconds, 
So huh. it's this bizarre, while they're talking about all this threat, you're getting this like hyperdrive of Americana images on the screen. So they want to go back to this supposed way we used to be that, mm-hmm. we, in, historically speaking, like we never really were that anyway to begin with. Oh, separate but equal in those days. <laughs> Clearly you have been brainwashed by the current uh, reigning secular <laughs> problem. Apparently. Well, let me ask you a serious question then about this movie. Usually when we hear about quote-unquote Christian movies, things like uh, God's Not Dead or some mm-hmm. of those other Christian movies, they're always just, they're badly made movies. Not even criticizing the message mm-hmm. they're trying to send. They're just like not Objectively off. bad. Yeah, they're objectively bad movies. Is this film, does it succeed as a documentary or is it just a bad documentary too? I think it must really depend on the attitude you bring to it because... I did not think it was terribly effective. I thought the kind of, you know, way they just uh, flooded you with short images while people were talking didn't work that well. But during the Q&A afterwards, there was a a woman who was literally moved to tears because she was so grateful that they had told the stories so well that she finally would have this uh, important tool that she could use um, in her own work. So... No, so they, it has they, its fans. They, well, and they, they pretty successfully made um, these small business owners, the baker in Oregon, who her whole dream, her whole life had been to do what she was doing and making wedding cakes, and that um, you know she basically was, was shut down and lost her business. And so they tell a story in a way that makes her a sympathetic character. So right, it's, right. It's, some, of it, some of it is pretty effective storytelling. Um, the other... Uh, bad movie that I recently saw was Dinesh D'Souza's movie about America, and that was just bad on every level. <laughs> it was badly made? It was uh, The message didn't come across effectively? It's just bad. It's just bad. <laughs> <laughs> which which describes Dinesh D'Souza well, I mean, pretty well. I mean, his movie, America, Imagine the World Without Her, his basic premise mm. is that people don't love America enough because they've been taught to be ashamed of her, and so he's going to go through and undo all that, um, you know, miseducation you've got. So he then sort of proceeds to try to explain away the genocide of the Indians, uh, African-American slavery, mm-hmm. you know, kind of those things. So it hmm. doesn't really work. And really quick, before we move from this topic, Rick Santorum's role in this is what? Well, his new uh, thing, other than thinking about running for president again, hmm. is that he works at this Christian movie studio called Echo Light Productions. So he's trying to uh, make money in the film biz by uh, making movies for one or two million dollars that they can market specifically to a Christian market. And um, so there, that's that's kind of there's a whole uh, uh, conservative evangelical movement in Hollywood now that is kind of trying to make more movies because they think that part of why they're losing these culture war battles is because the liberals in Hollywood have been so effective at using that the medium of films and storytelling and they're trying to to do some of it on their own. Now, he also said that this movie they're not even trying initially to bring it out in theaters. They're just trying to uh get churches to show it and sell tickets in in you know thousands of mega churches and I don't know if that's a money-making model for them, but he sort of says it's because they want to let people use the film to draw people back into church and put the church back at the center of, of culture in America. So we'll see how that goes. 
So does he have a specific goal? Is it just generally I want more people in church, or is he looking for numbers or something like? Did, or does he's he... trying to build a voter base? Right. <laughs> well, he's he. I think he was he's trying to make money. You know, this mm-hmm. is now um, part of his business is to to uh, try to make money by making and marketing movies to the large audience of conservative evangelicals. You know, there's people like Sarah Palin who've learned how to make a lot of money selling books to that crowd. So mm-hmm. I think he wants to do this with movies. And along the way, he certainly hopes to um, engage, uh, to encourage conservative pastors to get more involved in politics. They're going to sell some kind of uh, action kit with the movie that is um, being done <laughs> With the American Family Association. Please tell me you mean action yeah. figures. <laughs> no, full-fledged well, yeah, you know, action kits. <laughs> Here's what you do after you see the movie. That's right. you got to do something. <laughs> well, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. Every religious right conference I go to, pretty much without fail, one of the central messages is the problem is us. The problem is that the church is not standing up enough. The problem in America is that pastors are not preaching aggressively enough and and that's you know that's part of the message of the people behind this movie too is that um uh there's too many pastors who are timid who are afraid of the political correctness police and so they're watching America go to hell because they're not willing to stand up the culture's not changing it's the church's fault for not doing enough to stop the culture from changing that's exactly right. Well, you had me at the problem is us, and then all the other crap you lost me on, <laughs> I hate to say. Yes, I mean, when I think about the problems in America, the fact that the church is not aggressive enough rarely yeah. rises to the top of the list. Yeah. And by the way, how did how do you score tickets to a movie like this? Oh, like, yeah, we should do that. <laughs> how did you get on the guest list? I got invited to that because I, uh, from the National Organization for Marriage, because I'm on their... Um, <laughs> list, I got an invite through them. So We need to get in some lists, Hammond. <laughs> I want to see that. I'm, I'm not sure if it's worth it, because getting on all these lists requires going to a lot of conferences that you might not really enjoy that That's much. That's true. That's true. So let's switch gears uh, to, to Right Wing Watch, this website that's a project of the People for the American Way. Uh, for people who don't visit Right Wing Watch, um, you need to. I mean, I do it on a regular basis, but basically, you have a team of people who basically monitor uh, what the religious right is saying. They monitor Pat Robertson's 700 Club and Brian Fisher's radio show and all these right-wing people. Um, And the best part is they basically, they don't offer necessarily analysis. They say, hey, Pat Robertson said this on his show. Here's the quote. Here's Here's the the clip. clip. And boom, there it is. Have at it. And they do this for everything. So I guess a question I have for you is, how do you guys make that work? How do you maintain your sanity? And who drew the short straw and got stuck watching the 700 Club every day? Yeah, I think there's a lot of people over the years who've come through that who, you know, have some sort of PTSD from having to watch Pat Robertson for weeks and weeks and weeks at a time. But, you know, it's like uh, any form of activism. There's some of us who just kind of really have sort of a sick enjoyment of, yeah. of listening to this stuff and, and pulling out the most relevant, most ridiculous things. And, you know, generally we have found that the most effective thing for a lot of these people is to look, you know, just quote them, put just to quote them, to put their own words out there. And, and sometimes, they don't, you know, Brian Fisher from the American Family Association goes back and forth between 
thanking us for helping his him get his message out because we get his stuff up on the website before he does, <laughs> uh, and then complaining about you know how we take him out of context. But you know the the beauty of the technology we have now, so that we can put up the audio and put up the video, and it's a lot harder for people uh, to back away from their words. Yeah, and in fact, it's Right Wing Watch that got a TV show canceled. I think it was by these guys, the Benham Brothers. Uh, they recently had a show on like HGTV, like a flipping your house and we'll renovate your home. Mm-hmm. Totally random show that I don't know, I wouldn't watch anyway. Well, but it got canceled because Right Wing Watch was able to show clips of, I think, one of the brothers, maybe the father of the, these twin brothers, saying such horrible, nasty, anti gay um, things, ooh. right? Yeah, I mean, the, the, we had been more familiar with the father, who's who's just one of the most out there anti-abortion religious right activists. But it turned out that his two sons have sort of followed in his footsteps, and they've been engaged in sort of strident anti-gay activism. And one of the interesting things, because now you know the the brothers now have made they're now folk heroes on the religious right. Right, they they be, they martyrs became martyrs, yeah. Of speech yeah, and freedom of religion, but they. You know, they, a few years ago, um, in in Charlotte, North Carolina, they're from North Carolina, had gone to the city council and basically demanded that the city council not provide any um, permits for the gay groups to have a pride event. So it's pretty hard for me to to stomach them portraying, uh, you know, preening as martyrs to freedom when they have a record of trying to, uh, to squelch other people's freedom. Well, it shouldn't be too surprising that Christians love themselves a martyr. (laughs) <laughs> That's kind of what they're all based around. Because, I, I mean, that happened, it, the Duck Dynasty thing that happened. They, right. People lost their whole mind when a guy was aggressively homophobic and suffered the consequences of that. And people were like, Yeah, yeah that wasn't martyrdom. Are... That's kind of the, well, we don't want to watch your show. Right. That's, that's kind of how right. it works. Well, and this, yeah, it's this, it's this amazing uh, phenomenon of taking disagreement and criticism as persecution mm-hmm. and pretending and, you know, using this, you know, martyrdom and persecution rhetoric. We actually recently did a whole report on uh, on the, the use of perse- religious persecution as a strategy. And I actually think they should be ashamed of that because we see people around the world who really do face horrific persecution because of their religious beliefs or mm-hmm. their lack of religious beliefs. Uh, and so for these very privileged people who have TV empires and uh, plenty of political influence in the United States to pretend as if them, they're somehow can wrap themselves in the, the moral banner of persecution, I really, I really think it's shameful. Yeah, there really are Christian martyrs out there. And right. It's not these guys. Right. It's, it's the ones, you know, in other countries. That's How... right. And being, having someone disagree with what you say and having someone use their own First Amendment rights to criticize what you've said while you were using your First Amendment rights, mm-hmm. it's not persecution. It's not trying to silence you. Uh, it's calling you out. Yeah. And there is a difference between, like, it's not a freedom of speech thing. It's, right. no, you're just getting criticized because we heard what you had to say. Well, I think it became really clear that people don't understand what the First Amendment entails with it's government speech and right with government like speech that. and the government can't tell you not to say something. It doesn't mean if I say awful things that there aren't repercussions to the things I say. Right. Well, and it's it's. I mean, the hypocrisy is just 
it's so obvious and laughable. You have groups like the American Family Association, the Family Research Council. They're all for calling boycotts of corporations that mm-hmm. support gay pride events or advertise on TV shows they don't like. I mean, that's... Or say Happy Hanukkah or Happy Holidays, too. <laughs> but the second somebody criticizes Phil Robertson from Duck Dynasty, it's, oh, my God, it's an attack <laughs> on freedom and it's an attack on the First Amendment, America itself. I mean, it's it's just... Ridiculous. So that's why we like to quote their own words so we can go back and say, yeah, these are the same guys who called these 12 boycotts mm-hmm. who are now complaining that boycotts are economic terrorism. Yeah, and it, <laughs> and it actually does like what The Daily Show does, too, which is to say, you just said this. Well, guess what? We have the record of what you said, you know, five, ten years ago, right. and here it is, and there's the hypocrisy for you. Yes. We're How? always quite, we're quite delighted when <laughs> The Daily Show or Colbert or Rachel Maddow uses uh, some clips that we've uh, managed to find. Yeah. yeah, that is amazing. How did this project even begin? I'll be perfectly honest. I had kind of heard of People for the American Way, yeah. but I didn't really know about them until I started reading Right Wing Watch and so that you guys were a project of that larger organization. How did uh, PFAW, how did People for the American Way even begin this? As It sounds like a side project that kind of blossomed into its own thing. Like, how did that even begin? Well, it's interesting. Um, so how People for the American Way started was a little over 30 years ago. Uh, uh, Norman Lear, TV producer, made you know shows like All in the Family and uh, Maude and a lot of those things. He had decided he wanted to do a TV show or a movie project looking at televangelists. So he started watching some of them. And this was right at the rise of the religious right when these guys were becoming much more political. Jerry Falwell and James Oberson, you know, um, in the in the lead up to Reagan's election, and they were basically saying you couldn't be a good American if you weren't the right kind of Christian, mm-hmm. and you couldn't be a good Christian if you didn't share their right wing political beliefs. Anyway, Norman Lear, listening to this stuff, he was so disturbed, you know, hearing them pray for the death of a Supreme Court justice and say this kind of stuff that he dropped his plans for a TV show and took a break from his TV stuff to create an organization that could act as uh, uh, a response in in the media and in the culture to sort of take on this religious right uh, effort to claim faith and family and freedom uh, for this narrow band of the right wing. So that's, so, so from the beginning of the organization, uh, part of what it has done is, you know, this, we've been listening to Robertson and these guys were, 30 years, but, um, you know, a lot of it was, would go into reports, it would go to reporters, and it really was the advent of, of the Internet and um, sort of the birth of, of blogs and activism online that allowed us to get the research out much more widely. And uh, Is there a certain uh, time when Right Wing Watch really took off? Um, you know, I have a terrible time frame memory, but I would say maybe six years ago, five, six years ago. And was it and one particular really, And in the last issue? couple of years, it's been it's been growing rapidly. So, Yeah, I mean, I see it everywhere. I mean, it's just quoted nonstop because no one else gets that raw footage up and fast and available. But nobody else wants to. <laughs> That's true. No one else <laughs> wants to watch all that stuff either. <laughs> we watch so you don't have to, right? Yeah, right. exactly. And for that, we thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and we also, so we, we do have this, you know, great quantity of daily material that goes up. But then uh, we will also step back and, and you know, think about all the stuff we're seeing 
and do longer reports that are more analytical that say, what does this tell us about their strategy on religious liberty? Or what does this tell us about... Uh, and so so then we do some longer reports that we call Right Wing Watch and Focus that are uh, available at the People for the American Way website that um, you know look at, okay, here's their playbook on anti-immigration stuff. Here's the eight strategies they're using and other things. So um, all the daily reporting that we do kind of feeds into the knowledge base that we... Uh, uh, we try to use to help really understand and help the progressive movement respond to those political strategies. So thinking of um, religious liberty, I think the three of us can agree that religious liberty means you have to live in a country where other people also get rights and get to pray the, the way they want to, whereas it seems that right-wing Christians' idea of religious liberty is I get my way and nobody gets their way. Do you think that's – do you think that's – being naive? Do you think that they don't understand what it is to be actually repressed? Or do you think it's willful ignorance? Or do you think it's just, I want my way and I don't care what I have to do to get it? I think it's a little of all those things. I think it varies. There are some people in the religious right who really believe that the First Amendment only applies to Christians. Mm -hmm. They think that the Constitution was... uh, came out of the Bible and was meant for Christians, and the First Amendment does not apply to Muslims or to Mormons or others. So there's there's that fringe part of the right, and that includes people with big audiences like Brian Fisher. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there, was, there are other people, some of the legal groups like the Beckett Fund, which was the lawyer in the Hobby Lobby case, who on the, on the um, sort of the non-establishment front, they do defend the rights of Muslims when their ability to build a mosque is being attacked by local Christians who don't want a mosque in their community. So I would say that it varies across religious rights. Some really draw, uh, do stand on principle that religious freedom is for everybody, and some think it's, uh, it's, as you said, the argument they used to say, I want what I want, and if I don't get it, you're repressing me. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes when I write about creationism, I, I get comments from some people who are like, why are you harping on this one issue? No one's legitimately a creationist. So we're talking about a fringe group of people. And then the polls come out and we're talking like half of Americans except creationism. And I wonder, you know, what sometimes when you guys post Pat Robertson clips or Brian Fisher clips, I feel like you may get comments from people who are saying no one listens to Pat Robertson. No one takes these guys seriously. Do you have any idea of how many people are actually listening to them? How how big their audience is? How many of well, them take them seriously? Of people are listening to them, and and we do get those kind of comments. And we get, you know, I'm I am most frustrated when we get those kind of comments from journalists or main, you know people who who say, oh, Brian Fisher only has an audience because you make a big deal out of him. If, if you ignored him, everybody would ignore him. And that is so false. I mean, your, your points about creationism and looking at the polling is true. You know, just because we ignore Brian Fisher does not mean that he's not going out on 200 radio stations across the country every day. Uh, yeah, there is a difference you know, between what, what Brian Fisher is, with an audience like us, that. Don't ask us why we listen to Brian Fisher ask Republican members of Congress and Republican presidential candidates why they go on his show. They clearly think he has an audience worth reaching. Mm -hmm. And that's part of what we want to do is hold those kind of people accountable. We want public officials who give Brian Fisher credibility 
to be held accountable for the extremism that they're promoting. Yeah, and and there's a difference between someone like, I guess, Brian Fisher, who has this sizable audience, and maybe a group like the Westboro Baptist Church, which, you know, even, I don't even think any Christians are legitimately saying, yeah, those guys are great. They got a point. Yeah, yeah, no one's saying that, but they are saying that in conservative circles about these guys that you guys follow. Well, yes, and, and, you know, it's in some parts of the country, it may depend on where people live, too, in some parts of the country where the religious right is really dominant, you know, this, this is why we have textbook battles in Texas, where you have David Barton and these other religious right figures acting as the hired experts to the State Board of Education when they're rewriting the social studies curriculum and setting standards for science textbooks. You know, this is, it is not some uh, little group that's just talking to themselves. They have mm-hmm. powerful allies in state legislatures and in Congress uh, and if they're lucky, you know, in the White House. You know, what, uh, I had to ask you, uh, sometimes I see you guys not just saying, look at this crazy thing this person said, but in the case of, like, David Barton, uh, David Barton makes some claim he is mathematically wrong about yeah. what he's saying. I think one time he was like, I've given this many speeches over the summer, and I work this many hours a day, and there are not that many hours in a day. Like, it's <laughs> mathematically wrong. Right. And I wonder, when you have irrefutable proof like that, do these guys still make the same talking points, even when they've been called out on it? Yes. He, uh, David Barton is immune, apparently, to being called out for telling demonstrable lies. Yeah. I mean, he repeatedly talks about parts of the Constitution being drawn verbatim from the Bible, and he throws out specific <laughs> Bible verses. Well, if you go and look at the Bible verse, of course, it's not true. And we keep calling him out, but that doesn't slow him down. Is is there is he doing that on purpose? Does he know he's been caught, or do you think he genuinely believes, like, no, look, the Bible says this, the Constitution says this, there's a direct link between them? Oh. I think he I think he believes that he is on a divine mission to sort of reclaim America's Christian heritage and he doesn't you know, he'll he'll pick whatever facts he thinks help him make that case and he doesn't worry about stuff that runs counter to it. Little I, things like facts. Yeah. I guess part of me feels better about knowing that, that he's he genuinely believes this stuff even though he's completely wrong. Because I mean that that is better than being a willing con artist. Like he's not a Disney villain? <laughs> yeah, he, he, it's well, not like think, he knows I what he's doing is wrong. Both. I mean, he clearly, unless he just does not know what the word verbatim means, <laughs> he knows he's not telling the truth when he says the language in the Constitution comes verbatim from the Bible. It just doesn't. Now, he'll twist and you know, describe it in some way to say, well, the principles of you know, our separation of powers come out of you know, the book of Deuteronomy or something. Mm-hmm. But you know, a number of the claims he's making. I mean, he had his last book withdrawn, uh, taken off the shelves by a Christian publishing house because even a bunch of Christian historians, you know, were calling out all the, the things that were wrong with it. So it's not if his his facts have been debunked. Yeah. So do you think any one person... Uh, within the Christian right right now is more influential than anybody else? Like, is David Barton really, really the biggest name out there? Is it somebody else? Yeah, I would say David Barton is influential because his teachings about the Christian nation history 
have really been embraced by a lot of the Republican leadership and a lot of the religious right, and you hear it from everybody, from Newt Gingrich to candidates. So I would say he's influential that way. Um, someone like Tony Perkins at the Family Research Council is very kind of an influential insider Washington lobbyist. But there's a whole infrastructure of Christian law schools and colleges and uh, organizations like the Heritage Foundation, which is this huge uh, BMS in Washington, D.C., you know, that, that create this entire infrastructure. So if one person fails or one group kind of flops, there's always something there to pick up the slack. And then one last question for you, which is, you know, the Republicans who may be running for president uh, in 2016, let's hypothetically say gay marriage uh, is no longer a contentious issue by that point. The tide has completely turned. It's legal all across the country. I suspect these conservative groups will still oppose marriage equality, homosexuality, all that stuff. I would think that Republican candidates who want to become president will not want to side with them on that issue. It's just a losing issue. Do you think they will still there will still be this tight bond between the religious right and, you know, political conservatives? Well in twenty sixteen we're gonna have a number of religious right candidates running for the Republican nomination. Uh I mean among the possibilities are Mike Huckabee, Rick Santorum, yeah. Ted Cruz there's, there's plenty of them out there, and I think it's going to make it hard for anybody to um, try to slide too far away from the issues that are motivating the religious right. And, and the religious right voters, the conservative evangelicals, are still a huge part of the Republican Party base. Now, younger evangelicals are much more um, pro-equality uh, uh, on marriage and other gay issues than, than older evangelicals, but uh, they're still not the majority. So. It's going to be. It's going to be. Um, it's going to put Republican presidential candidates between a rock and a hard place. Kind of the same way Republicans in Congress are now. Sometimes with the Tea Party, that they really encouraged uh, this Tea Party, this language of you know tyranny and everything else. And now you've got Tea Party candidates running from the right and knocking out members of Congress. Uh, sort of, you know, this extremism is kind of feeding it on itself. So. I don't think that the religious right is going to diminish too much as a force in the Republican Party in the near future. Okay, well, that's our time. Thank you so much for joining us today. We can find you at rightwingwatch.org. And um, do you have any other personal blogs you'd like to, uh, or personal personal projects you'd like to push? Uh, uh, no, I, I also do some writing at religiondispatches.org, which is a progressive online magazine of uh, religion and politics and culture that comes out of the USC School of Journalism. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Pete Mott. Okay, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. This episode was taped at Cinnamon Sound Studios in Aurora, Illinois, and the music was written and performed by Brad Chagdis. If you like what you're hearing, please consider making a contribution at Patreon.com slash Hemant. That's He-Man T. We appreciate your support. I'm Hemant Mehta. And I'm Jessica Blumke. We hope you'll join us next time.